The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. So let me pray for us as we turn in our Bibles to John chapter 13, and uh, let's dive in. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are and for what you do for us. You are the great example. Uh, you're going to tell us that everything you've done, you've done as an example for us, that we would follow in your and so, God, I pray that as our, as we open your word, our hearts and minds are open to hear from your Holy Spirit, and that we would be transformed by it. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, John chapter 13. So if you're new to us, we've been journeying through the book of John over the past year and uh, looking at an intimate picture of the life of Christ. We are now... Um, We've completed the first three years of Jesus' ministry years. From about the age of 30 to about the age of 33, Jesus gave his last three years of his life, really raising up the, the disciples, those who would carry on the mission uh, that would then pass, be passed on to us. And Jesus has spent three years with those disciples, preparing them, uh, giving them examples to follow, and then giving them tasks to do in his name. And we now are closing in the final hours. Uh, up until this moment, Jesus has many times said phrases like, walk while you still have the light, the night is coming. He has said, when the crowds got angry, some saw the things Jesus did and they were inspired by him and they were drawn to him. Others saw the things Jesus did and they were like, this man must be insane, the things he says, the things he does. Uh, in order to have this kind of thing, he must have a devil in him. And some were conspiring to kill him. Uh, Jesus often divided crowds, those drawing close and those pulling away and wanting to be killed. And so even one of his own, we read a week or two ago, a man named Judas is seeing that things are not going as he hoped. And Judas, one of Jesus' closest of disciples, one of the inner 12, if you will, um, has now given in to the temptation and the leadings of a real adversary, a, a, a person, uh, a being by the name of Satan, the devil, and prompted by the devil, and we're going to see today him even become possessed by the devil. Uh, let me just tell you, Satan is real. He is real, his demons are real, and he seeks to lead us away from the Father. He seeks like a lion to steal, to kill, and destroy. We're going to see him try to uh, influence and uh, interfere with the life of Jesus, the mission of Jesus. And so we are hours away from Jesus being arrested, by, from being put through a mockery of a trial, and for his hour to come. Uh, Jesus, it's interesting, in this passage, is going to say, if you look at verse 30 with me, John 13, verse 30. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. That was speaking of Judas, possessed by Satan. And the very next words are, and it was night. It was both literal night this was after dinner, sunset had happened, but it was also symbolically night. Night had come. 
Jesus' ministry years, he referred to often, uh, while it's still day, follow me, while it's still day, walk with me, while it's still day, get your life right, for night is coming, and it's, it's night. So let's dive in and see what's unfolding. These last hours before Jesus is arrested, uh, I, w- I would often think that if you knew your life was about to end, how important those last few hours would be. How important the words you were going to leave those closest to you, how important they would be. Not that any words of Jesus are less important than others, but this next group of chapters happen in the span of mere hours. From John chapter 13 to John chapter 17, we see Jesus pouring into those closest to him. John 17, the high prayer of Jesus praying that God would be with the disciples and all those who would believe. He prayed for you and me that night before he was arrested. So let's take a look. To give you context of what's happening on this very day, the disciples are arguing with one another. If you look at Luke chapter 22, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I don't think I provided those scriptures for the display this morning. But Luke chapter 22 gives us a picture of of what John doesn't tell us. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all written about the same period of time in Jesus' life. Uh, We refer to them as the good news, the gospels of Jesus. And so right before the dinner that we're about to be invited into in John chapter 13, the disciples are arguing with one another. You know what is so interesting about what they're arguing about? They're arguing about which of them is going to be the greatest. Which of them is the best. Now, doesn't that just seem so ironic? That in light of everything that Jesus has been doing in them and around them and through them, uh, everything that he has shown about himself as a humble servant, they're going to turn to one another and start a debate about which one of them might be the greatest. Let's look at it. Luke 22, verse, Luke chapter 22, verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But this will not be the same with you. Rather, let the greatest among you Become as the youngest, and let the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at a table, or the one who is serving? Is it not the one who reclines at the table who is the greatest? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is pointing out to them that I've chosen you, I've called you to to lead with me. And so your way of leading can't be like the example set by this world. There are rulers and benefactors and people in high positions of authority and they lord their power over the people. But if you're going to be a true servant in the kingdom of God, you've got to learn to serve, lead as I have learned to lead, and that is to serve. Jesus came 
to give his life as a servant and as a ransom for many. And so this is the backdrop in which the actions we see recorded today. They're arguing, they're disputing, and this is Passover. Let's look at John chapter 13. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, let's circle that in the Bible, his hour has finally come. If you remember in John chapter uh, 2, the wedding at Cana, early in the first part of John, uh, they run out of wine. And Mary, the mother's, uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, comes to Jesus and says, hey, uh, Jesus, I want to let you know uh, they've run out of wine. And he says, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now he is saying, my hour has come. Three years have passed. It's time for him to come for his purpose the ultimate act of serving and sacrifice, going to the cross on our behalf. The hour of the feast of Passover had come. Jews from everywhere were traveling in, and even those who were interested in learning about Jewish custom and the worship of the Jewish God had come into town. People were gathered everywhere and from everywhere, and they were all coming to celebrate by sacrificing sheep and remembering the way that the forefathers took a lamb, they had killed the lamb, they had taken the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost of their home, that any who went through this act would be saved by God. And it's in this setting where Jesus has come to reveal himself as the sacrificial lamb, the lamb that would take away the sins of the world. The feast of Passover was here. Jesus knew his hour had come for him to depart from this world to go back to the Father, and having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Grammatically, in English, we don't get the fullness of that, say, that, that sentence right there. Jesus didn't just love them until the end of his life, although that was true, uh, until the end of his physical earthly life and into the future forever. Jesus said, I will be with you always. I will love you always. He loved them to the end. This word also speaks of the completeness and the perfection of Jesus' love. First John tells us that God is love. God isn't just someone who loves. It is who he is. And Jesus, being God in flesh, loves. And he loves you in spite of your brokenness, in spite of any mistakes, in spite of your sin and your shame. He loves you just the same. And he loves us completely. Yes, those of us who are followers of Jesus, and, and even those who do not yet know Jesus, we love in certain ways. But our love is not always perfect. I love my wife, but I don't always love her perfectly. I love my children, but I don't always love them completely. There are times when my love fails. But we have a God whose love never ends. A love who is perfect. And if you do not yet know him and his love for you, I want you to know that no matter how far you feel you are from God, his love has no end. No one is too far outside of his love. He loves you today. During supper, verse 2, when the devil had already put 
into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from the supper. You see, we've got two forces at hand. And I don't mean the light side of the force and the dark side of the force. That's a different story. We've got God in flesh. John 1.1, in the beginning was God, and God was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and John 1.14, and, and the Word became flesh, and He moved into our neighborhood, the message tells us. Uh, he, he came and dwelt among us. We have God, the creator of the universe, the maker of life, the maker of light, here. And we've got Satan working through this man, Judas, to stop the plans of God. Satan had already put his plan. And what Satan didn't know is that this ultimately was the plan of God the Father, who considered it pleasing to himself that his son would die to seize the world. That seems so crazy to imagine that how could a father be pleased that his son would die but it's for this purpose that Jesus came to be the ultimate sacrifice, to die for you and I. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, this was the plan. Jesus was crushed. We're going to see that he is so stressed in a couple hours from now, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, so stressed about what's coming. The brutal death of dying on the cross, the Romans had perfected a way of being able to inflict pain until the last moment of someone's life being given up. Jesus knew that was coming, and he knew this was also the purpose for which he came. And he knew he was going back to the Father. He came from the Father, and he was going back to the Father. And so with that knowledge, he rose from supper. Now, as I mentioned in Luke chapter 2, Jesus said, who's greater, the one reclining at the table or the one serving? So they are in an upper room. And for those of you that went to Israel, we got to see what they believe might have been the upper room. We got to climb the stairs that may have been climbed by Jesus and the disciples. We went into this room where this table would have been served, possibly as high as this stage. No chairs needed. They would literally lay down on the floor just high enough so that they could sit up to the table and eat. This table had been served. The Passover meal was was, uh, what they were partaking in. And if you read in chapter Luke, this is also where Jesus took the Passover meal and told them how it has a deeper meaning in the institution of what we call communion or the Lord's Supper was given by Jesus. We will partake in that at the end of our service today. They were, they were reclining. And so Jesus got up off the floor, and he's going to teach them a lesson. Just hours before he's about to be arrested. So he takes off his outer garment, the scripture tells us. He ties a towel around his waist. And this is what would typically be done by one of the lowest servants in the house. We talked about this a couple weeks ago when when we saw Mary wash the feet of Jesus at a a, a meal just a week earlier in Jesus' life. And now Jesus is taking that role of a servant. This tells me a couple things. One, the disciples are so concerned with arguing amongst one another about which of them is going to be the greatest that none of them even thinks, hey, no one's washed our feet. 
Every one of us should wash Jesus' feet. We get no indication of that happening at all. They're reclining at dinner, and back then, the typical type of shoe worn was a sandal, no socks. That was out of style back then. Still is now, by the way. If you wear socks and sandals, you should change that. Um, I kid. Um, but in the streets and the modes of transportation, the streets were littered with dust and dirt and animal byproduct. And, and now you're walking around and your feet are filthy from the long day's journey. And, and you've got some serious feet smell. You've got some serious feet dirt going on. And, and that's what they're dealing with. And Jesus gets up while they're reclining at the table, ties a robe around, a towel around his waist, and takes on the role of the lowest servant in the house. Typically, when you entered the house, there'd be a, 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 washing, a wash basin, a jar, and a servant would meet you, and you would dip your feet in, and that servant would clean your feet, so you'd go up to dinner, and you'd be good to go. But apparently, that hadn't happened. So Jesus gets up. He rose from supper, verse 4. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon, the one called Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, What I am doing, you don't understand now. But afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, Then you shall never wash my feet. Peter, Peter respected and loved the Lord Jesus. He knew he was the Messiah. You're not washing my feet. That's a position way too low for you. You're not doing it. Peter was that guy often opened the mouth and inserted foot, saying the wrong things at all the wrong times. You shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered him and said, If I Simon Peter said to him, well, then, if it's going to be that way, Lord, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Peter is one extreme to the next. Never. Oh, all of me. But here's the beauty of what happens here. You shall never wash my feet. Well, then wash all of me. One who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said, all of you are clean. So yes, we've got a physical thing going on, but we've also got a spiritual symbolic thing happening that is the most important part of this uh, of this example. Jesus is coming to him and saying, you know, Peter, I don't need to wash your hands and your head. Those are already clean, but look at your feet. They're filthy. But what, what he was really saying is that you have been cleaned through your faith in me. But you're still going to have dirt 
life in your life. You're still going to walk day in and day out. And there's going to be times when even though I have forgiven you, even though I have made you righteous, even though I have forgiven your sins, the scriptures tell us, though our sins be as scarlet, they will be washed white as snow. There is still a need for daily confession. There is still a need for us realizing that we cannot walk this life. It's not like, oh, okay, thanks, Jesus. You did it all for me. Now I can go and live however I want. No, daily we need to come to realize when our feet are dirty. And you know what? My feet get dirty every day. And I need to, as 1 John 1, 9 tells us, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us of all unrighteousness. And so Jesus was saying here, you're already clean in me. It's just your feet that are dirty. But not every one of you will be. Not every one of you in this room, not all of you, not all of the 12 know me truly as your Savior. Not all of you know me as your Lord. Although Judas had been sitting under the greatest teacher ever. Although Judas had went to the seminary of Jesus Christ. Although Judas had been led on missions trips by the greatest missionary ever. Although Judas had had these scriptures themselves interpreted by the one who brought the scriptures, who is the scriptures. That tells me is it's not our responsibility. We can study and be as good as we can, but if someone is not coming to Jesus, it's not our fault. Jesus was the greatest teacher ever, and still some rejected him. Now, still, we're told, show yourself as approved workmen, not ashamed, always be willing and able to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. We are to be stewards and understand the word of God and be able to do our best to share that truth with others. But if someone is going to reject it, it is not on us. Judas, the best teacher ever, yet still rejected by Jesus. Accordingly, he went to each of them and said, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, because he is already clean. You are clean, Peter. But not every one of you here is clean. For he knew who was to betray him. And that is why he said, follow me. When he had washed their feet. Now he even went and washed Judas's feet. Now this is what's so interesting. Judas up until the last moments is still a part of that inner circle. And Jesus is still what he's doing for one. He's doing for all. And he even washes Judas's feet. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place at the table. And he said, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you should do just as I have Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, 
nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you know them. Is that what it says? If you know these things, you are blessed if you what? Do them. The book of James chapter 1 tells us, be doers of the word, not hearers only, therefore deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word of God and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. And after he looks at himself and goes away, at once he forgets what he looked like. But the one who looks into the perfect law of God, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Jesus said, I've set this example for you to follow. I served each and every one of you. I even served the one who I know is against me. We are called to love one another, but not just those who love us back, but even loving our enemies. And the greatest act of love is serving our enemies. You will be blessed if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Verse 18, I am not speaking of all of you, for I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread and lifted his heel against me, I am telling you this now before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. What we didn't see there in the picture of John is is Jesus taking them through communion. It's captured in the book of Luke, and we'll go through that in a minute. But before we do, I want to give you three applications of what we see in the example here from this foot washing at this Last Supper with the disciples. Number one, the importance of confessing our sins. This is the message that we have heard from you and we proclaim to you, this is 1 John, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not uh, practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. If we stand like Peter and say, Jesus, you cannot wash my feet, my feet aren't dirty, Peter didn't say my feet aren't dirty, but if we stand before a holy God and say, I don't have sinned, my feet aren't dirty, I don't need you to wash my feet, then we are lying and deceiving ourselves. And we need to understand that even those of us who know him as Savior, we still need to daily come to Jesus for our feet to be washed. Number two, we need to learn what it means to embrace the life of a servant. We need to learn to make it our mission, as Jesus did, make it our mission to serve. 
Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How do we take this on? How can we become servants? Number one, we make it our mission to serve. Number two, we learn to think, think humbly. We need to, as the scriptures say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant C.S. Lewis put it like this, humility is not thinking of ourselves as less, but thinking of ourselves less. Get that? You are valuable. You were worth the life of God's own son. You were, you are worth his life. You are worth more than silver or gold. Humility is not thinking of yourselves, oh, I'm, un, uh, I'm, I'm less worthy than you, uh, or thinking less of yourselves. It's thinking of yourself less. Putting others first. Thinking of the needs and the joy of others before ourselves. Philippians 2, 3-7, through 7, Let us each look out not only for our own interests, but the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which was in Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We make it our mission to serve. We think humbly. We then turn our attention to know who we are in fact truly serving. There's a parable in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, when Jesus says all will be gathered up and, and, and Jesus will say this in Matthew, God will say this in Matthew 25, 40. The king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of one of my brothers, you did it for me. When you fed others and took care of the poor, you were doing it for me. When you gave of your clothing to clothe those who were naked and in need, you were clothing and caring for me. When you visited those who were in prison, you were visiting me. As we are in the process of serving others that God has placed around us, we are serving our Lord. Let us remember and know who we are truly serving. This is maybe TMI, but when I go to the bathroom, and when I am done, I literally think if Jesus were to walk in my next, how would I want to smell? And I will take the time to clean that toilet. we serving? Number one, remember our reward will not necessarily come in our time on earth, but when we meet our Father in heaven. Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord God you will receive the inheritance, his, the inheritance as serving men, but his son. We make it our mission to serve. We think humbly about who we are. 
we remember who we are truly serving, and we will remember that our reward is what will come when we see our Father in heaven. And the third thing we need to see today from this passage, after we embrace being a servant, is realizing that we need to receive the gospel message. If you have not yet had that bath, spiritually speaking, then foot washing isn't all you need. You need to come to the Lord and allow the spirit of renewal and the blood that was shed to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Jesus came and he went to the cross for us in our place. He poured out himself for us, taking on our sin and our shame, becoming filthy with the dirtiness of our lives, and exchange making it possible for us to be washed by him. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white. Psalm Isaiah 53. Let us realize that this spiritual cleansing is available to any who would believe and receive it. John 1.12, I repeat every week. Although his own rejected him, whoever, whoever believes in him, whoever receives him, he gives the right to become children of God. So if you're here this morning and you've not taken the step of being cleansed by the, the washing and the renewing of the Lamb, today you can be made clean. Today you can open up your heart to receive the free gift of eternal life. You don't have to go and get your life right first. Jesus says, come just as you are. Today is the day of salvation. He loves you in spite of who you are, in spite of who I am, in spite of the filthiness of my life. He gave his life for me. He gave his life for you. That you might be made right in him. So as our worship team comes to close us, I challenge you. I challenge you to look at our Savior, to walk in his footsteps as the humble servant he was, and ask yourselves, am I serving as Christ served me? To look at yourselves and say, am I coming to him daily for that foot washing? Am I coming to my Savior and saying, Father God, I, I got in the habit of every night before bed of just praying and confessing to God before I asked for him to take care of the next day, before I even um, asked him to take care of my needs, I first came to him and like David said, search my heart and see if there are any wicked ways in me. Lord Jesus, as you bring them to my mind, I confess them to you. Forgive me. Help me to turn from my sins and help me to follow you. Are we confessing our sins to him and allowing him to wash our feet? Father God, I pray for each and every person in this room. I pray that for those of us who know you, who have had our souls cleaned by the shedding of your blood, that we would realize that you have set us free and we are free indeed, but yet we still walk through the dirtiness of this life and we come to you daily seeking your forgiveness and asking for you to cleanse and be cleansed. God, I pray for those in this room who maybe have never taken that step of, of accepting you as Savior and Lord and their first step would say, be Jesus, don't just clean my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I'm not yet cleaned by your blood. I put my faith and trust in you, and I ask you to come into my life and make me new. I'm going to stop trying to live this life on my own, 
I surrender to you. Come into my life. Forgive me and make me new. And then God has transformed people, has forgiven people. Let us be able to go and to leave this place helping to be a vessel of bringing transforming love to those who do not yet know you. And by active serving, they will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. So let us take this mission on to be the servants you've called us to be. To go out and to share your love through acts of service and through words that bring good news. Help us to forgive as you have forgiven us. Come and make your way and your will in our lives. In your name we pray. During this time of worship and response, we have four tables, two on the sides and two in the back, where we can remember this night where Jesus gave the Passover meal. And when he took the bread, he said, as often as you eat with this bread, remember my body broken for you. He took the cup and he said, as often as you tasted this cup, remember my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And so we invite those of you who are members of the family of God to participate in this family meal together. During our time of worship, as you feel led, go and remember what Christ did for us. On each table is also an empty basket for us to give out of an act of worship back to him, out of the blessings that he has poured into our life, of our tithes and offerings. Again, give as the Lord leads you. I will be up here at the front through our time of worship and after and after the church, after service is over, if you want to pray with me about anything, whether it's coming to the Lord for the first time anew and, and, and becoming cleansed by Him and receiving salvation, I'd love to pray with you about that. Or if it's simply just that God would give you the boldness and courage to be a servant, to serve the least of these, knowing that we are serving Jesus, whatever it is going on in your life, if you would like to pray, I'd love to pray with you. So, Father God, move in our midst now, we pray. Have your will and your way in us. And lead us to take whatever the next steps may be. In your name.